What's going on, Elise? Thanks for being on the show. Luke, it's so good to chat. Amen. Likewise. Likewise. I, I, I feel like I say this about every guest that I have, but I'm extremely excited for our conversation today and to have you here. One, because I feel like we've had some relationship kind of through internship random, like not at the same time, but being able to go through the same program and some preceptor, you know, work in um, being in the same city for a period of time. Uh, we've kind of been able to connect in the past, but seeing you grow into the RD and, and just the um, kind of the position that you've kind of arrived to today, it's been super inspiring and I love all the work that you do. So selfishly, I'm excited to have you on the show. And I know the guests are going to have a, a, a lot of takeaways from today because a lot of stuff today is stuff that I'm passionate about. I know that you're super passionate about, and I think you're one of the best to do it in terms of like recipe development, feeding kids, like making nutrition enjoyable and not super freaking boring. So uh, I think you're really good at it. And I'm, I'm just super excited to have you on today. So before we jump into to any topics, just give the people a little rundown on who you are, like how you became an RD, what you do now, just word vomit, whatever you want to get out. So all right, let's do it. <laughs> Word vomit. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody. I'm Elise Comston. I guess you could say I'm one half of the Comston Kitchen, um, which I run with my husband, Stephen, also a dietitian. And um, really, I specialize in recipe development and I like to make healthy eating fun and enjoyable. And I like to put really fun spins on recipes that you would never think of, but also take those classic favorites and put sort of a healthier twist on it. So you feel like you can still enjoy all of your favorite foods um, just with a little upgrade, so to speak. Um, and my, I guess my journey to becoming a dietitian um, did not start in the nutrition world. I actually went to school for vocal performance and theater. Uh, I had my eyes set on Broadway and performing. And I remember, you know, you get to your dorm freshman year and the the common conversation that kept popping up was like, well, you eat a little differently than us or like, how come you're not putting on the freshman 15 that we are? And so I started having these like organic nutrition conversations with my hallmates and roommates about, you know, what it meant to eat, you know, in a healthy way, in healthy patterns. And I thought, you know, maybe there is something more to this. And so that's really what um, caused me to rethink my nutrition or excuse me, my vocal performance in theater and, you know, turn it to nutrition. So I uh, changed majors and kind of dove head first into the world of nutrition and organic chemistry, as you know. <laughs> Um, and then when I was in undergrad, I actually landed a job with a food company. It was like one of those food delivery companies. And I came on initially to do, uh, you know, data input, you know, basically just putting information into systems for them. And then over the course of two years, I really started working a lot more with the head chef at the company and just, you know, recipe development became this natural project that we worked on together. And so we started creating recipes for clients and for customers. And I found it so fascinating. It was kind of like, uh, you know, figuring out a puzzle, you know, how can we take these same pieces and rearrange it in a new way to make it a little bit more exciting so that people are going, oh, this is something fresh. I'm really excited about that. 
Um, and so I decided that, okay, I want to be a dietitian. Um, I don't love the sciencey aspect. I don't like the clinical side, but maybe I can still nurture that love for nutrition in a fun recipe development way. If that makes sense. <laughs> definitely makes sense. Yeah. You know, vocal performance and theater is definitely uh, a little different than like, like you said, OCHEM and biochem and diving into the <laughs> nutrition sphere. But I actually did not know that about you. So that's, that's pretty cool. But it's, it's, it's amazing. Cause when you go into the nutrition field, I feel like you can relate to this, but it's very, it's very geared towards like clinical based kind of nutrition, right? There's different paths that you can go down. Food service is one of them, but I wouldn't even list food service in like the culinary sphere. I think they're two different entities and it's cool that you kind of had that experience and jumped into that because reflecting back on my internship, one of my favorite parts, I, I was at the VA doing all the clinical stuff, but Sean, one of the dietitians, yes, there, he, he is the man. If you're listening to this, Sean, we love you, but he, uh, he was super into the culinary. He is a chef. Like he did a bunch of cooking classes the education that he provided. And when I was working under him, it was just so different. And I felt like it was more applicable to at least maybe the population that I end up serving now, right? Like, like in the moment you think I'm going to be working in the hospitals or in the skilled nursing homes or something. But for me, like being able to navigate and move towards more of an online business and helping generally healthy people, like I think one of the most underrated tools and things that we could do is to like help people be more competent in the kitchen or and more confident and have more fun in it. Because I think there's this perception that eating healthy has to be super boring. And, and maybe for some people that that is okay, right? Like not everybody has to create a new meal or recipe every day to feel satisfied after eating. But I find that, you know, people aren't eating chicken, rice, and broccoli, then they think they're not eating healthy. And and I think that's the furthest from the truth. So it's cool that you're in a space where you can kind of help develop some competency skills and just show people like, hey, cooking recipes doesn't have to be like opening your grandmother's recipe book and flipping <laughs> to page 50 and reading the two-page document. It could be a really simple, effective, and fun. And I think you do a really good job at that. So yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, you mentioned like the stereotypical healthy trio, you know, it's like the chicken, broccoli, and, you know salad or rice or whatever it is, you know, super boring, super bland. I actually had an opportunity in the fall to teach at a community college. And it was like a, a beginner's course to healthy cooking um, within their nutrition department. And the class is actually geared towards people in um, getting like a fitness certification. And they said, you know, these students really have no knowledge of nutrition, no knowledge in the kitchen. Um, they just need some of the basics. And so I remember going in like, okay, we're going to do all these like really big recipes. It's gonna be so fun. We're going to just be cooking up a storm. And, you know, I was humbled day one, because you realize like, uh, these people, some of these students had never even held um, a bulb of garlic before or an onion. They had no idea how to slice a bell pepper. And so we got down to the basics and I said, you know what, we're just going to start small. And it was so fascinating. This is not at all to toot my own horn, but it's fun to see that transition from, you know, the first class to the last, how they had this confidence to be able to make simple meals all on their own. And also I think there was that surprise of, oh my gosh, not only did I make this, but it actually tastes really good. And I know I can recreate this at home for my friends and family. So um, it is, I think, you know, most of us didn't grow up. I don't think in the kitchen, you know, learning how to slice fruits and vegetables and how to chop and dice and 
uh, maybe boil water. And um, so even just learning those basic habits can really bring us so far. Yeah, exactly. You know, for me, like kind of the population and the clients that I see a lot and the people that I tend to work with, it's, it's kind of, and this is likely way different from you, but I see this a lot in the health and fitness space, right? Somebody gets motivated to clean up their nutrition, get in the gym more, start to exercise, like whatever that look like looks like for them. And in my world, we tend to track calories, protein, fiber. Um, we can track macros. I don't think it's very fun or I, I think it's just more than the average person needs to do um, to get very similar or the same results. And if you just track calories and protein or even just focus on like building a performance plate or kind of a weight loss plate, there's a lot of different methods that we can talk about when it comes to changing your nutrition and getting some of these you know, nutrients in over the course of the day. But when people start to track data and start to look at their food a little bit differently, I find that there's this overhaul where it's like, I need to eat only whole foods. Every thing and ingredient on my plate should be one or two ingredients only. And then before you know it, that's where like the chicken, rice, broccoli, insert whatever protein, starch and vegetable source, right? You kind of rotate through that. And I think, I think in the beginning, it can kind of help people understand you know, more about energy balance and how to hit a protein target or what 25 grams of fiber looks like in the course of the day. But over time, like that shit gets really boring, right? Or you can kind of get burned out from having just those different types of foods throughout the course of the week. And I do think that there is a place for that. And I think some people do really well with that and they live like that, but there's slowly a transition to where it's like, Hey, I'm tracking all the numbers and the metrics and the workouts. And it's almost like you get to a point where okay, this worked until it doesn't work for me long-term. And and what I mean by that is eventually, I think ideally we need to spice it up and be able to think big picture of like, okay, we can get a body comp goal, but how can we feed our kids goal? How can we teach them more about nutrition? How can we create recipes or create food and, and make that enjoyable for us instead of something that we're dreading to eat or not looking forward to? And then you're more likely to go out and eat or something like that. And for me, I I found that I've gone through that phase where it's like, now I'm at the spot where my wife and I, we want to try new recipes. Like we want to mix it up. We, and when you start to do that, you realize how easy it actually can be. Right. Um, But I say all this because one of my questions to you is like, does healthy eating have to be boring? It's a very, very general concept or very broad question. So wherever you want to take that, you can, um, but is there, is there kind of a transition on what you see kind of in your population or even the general population of deficiencies that they might have in, in their knowledge, their education, their willingness to cook food? Like what are some barriers that you see that, you know, can click people from like, Hey, eating healthy is super boring to eating healthy is fun. And this is something I could see myself doing long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. You know, I think, I think you really hit it on the head when you said, you know, so we do, if we go back to that chicken, broccoli, rice scenario, there actually is some truth to it, right? So we as experts in nutrition know that that balance of those macronutrients is really important for satiety, for, um, you know, energy, for meeting our health goals. And so we do need those foundations there. And I think what 
really trips people up is some people stay there and feel like they have to stay there in order to meet or maintain their goals. Um, and then they miss the mark that healthy eating can still use those foundations, but expand out a little bit. So like, okay, maybe we still have the chicken. Maybe we swap that broccoli out for some jazzed up barbecue roasted cauliflower. And maybe instead of rice, we're doing, you know, some fun pasta or maybe a pilaf. Um, so yeah, it's a really, it's, it's tricky because we, again, we want those foundations there. Um, and actually the way that we like to teach our, our folks, our population, and especially on social media is we actually go back to the basic plate planner where we're trying to have about 50% of that plate being those non-starchy veggies, for lunch and dinner meals, we have about a quarter of that meal, some sort of protein and another quarter, a complex carbohydrate. And we don't flat out say like, hey, here's how you do those ratios and here's what you need to do. But we we kind of show that through these food ideas. And I my hope is that over time, people start to adapt that and they go, okay, so you know what? I can still have the foods. You know, Maybe I don't like squash, but maybe I can swap it out with something that I do enjoy. Um, and so I think, you know, like I said, I think you hit it on with the, the foundations have to be there, but do we have to be bored? Do we have to despise what we eat? Well, no, because then that sends us back the other way as well. Um, it really has to be a happy middle ground of finding the foods that we like, um, and still finding a way to enjoy them. Yeah, absolutely. And it almost comes from like this place of your willingness to try new things. Cause I think for a lot of people, it could be this big leap and this big daunting, tasks to like revamp their nutrition or to eat less away from home and to cook more in the kitchen. And I think, again, I think there's a place for doing the basics and, and like you said, learning the plate method and are we getting plants on our plate? Are we getting enough protein? Are we doing these things? But there comes a time where it's like, you know, you don't have to cook a new meal every time, but if we can find three to eight different types of proteins or way to prepare proteins and same with your vegetables and carbs and and snacks, like whatever it is. And then you can cycle through that and maybe add one recipe a week. It's like, that's almost where, that's almost where I feel like I'm trying to get people to now. Like I think training and eating for vanity is super cool, but I think it's overrated. And I think as we get older, like uh, the things that we give a fuck about change a lot. And, and I think one of those things should be enjoying your food and learning how to be you know, a little bit more productive and confident in the kitchen. Cause again, it, that will translate and impact a lot of other people around you as well. Not only yourself. So I, and you and I, we could talk about this all day and get super excited about it. But I think for the average person, like there's a lot of misconceptions that, you know, comes with healthy eating. And I think one of those that I see a lot and maybe that's changed, but really it's more prevalent than ever with like inflation or whatever, like eggs or like a dollar an egg or something. But, you know, does, does healthy eating have to be expensive and what's kind of a response that you have to that? If somebody comes with that to you? Oh yeah. I mean, without a doubt, we are paying more for food now than we have in the past. Like food prices are outrageous, but, um, there are ways that we can reduce our food costs that we can use all the time, you know, whether it was five years ago, whether it's current day. And um, we actually are trying to work on that with our kids too, because we like to involve them in the shopping process too. And so we were at the grocery store yesterday and my son picks up a potato. He's like, Hey, I know we need to get potatoes at the store. So he goes and picks up a single one. And I said, well, you know, bud, we can absolutely get potatoes, but we're going to save a lot more money if we buy them bulk versus individual. And it's things like that that can really cut costs. 
Um, it's also important to think about um, shopping our pantry before we go to the grocery store. So I, I always tell clients, make sure you are making a grocery list. And while you're making your grocery list, open up your freezer, open up your fridge, open up your pantry. What do you already have on hand? Because I find so often clients will go to the grocery store. They're just loading up their cart with three, $400 worth of groceries with no real game plan. And then you get home and you're like, okay, so I don't really have anything to make a meal. Or then you decide, oh, tonight I want, you know, chicken Alfredo and I, I don't have the ingredients for it. So we can waste a lot of money that way. So always check the pantry, see what you've got and try and build meals around that first. Um, and then take that list to the grocery store. Because again, if you're shopping mindlessly without that list, you're going to get off track. That's when all the crazy random foods start going into the cart. Um, and then thinking about your game plan when you're there. So are you shopping during peak hours when it's you know crazy and you're shoulder to shoulder with people? Are you hungry when you're going to shop? Um, I know personally that never ends well. Um, and then things like buying in bulk, uh, when it comes to produce, buying more of the frozen and canned is a great way to go, especially when we're talking about seasonal produce. You know, if you're trying to buy, buy fresh berries right now, you're going to be paying more than you would for like steak or chicken right now. It's, it's crazy. So get those things frozen, especially when they're out of season. Um, you know, these are the sorts of tips that, again, are going to help us year round um, and even stretching protein. So if we are going to have eggs, if we are going to do an omelet, can we throw some veggies in there or some some beans in there to still have a great volume of meal um, for, you know, uh, you know, not having to use quite as many eggs um, or if you're having like a stir fry or something, then you can save a little bit on the steak or chicken um, or eggs because you're throwing in some plant proteins in there. So it's not saying we're going fully vegetarian, fully vegan. We're not throwing out the steak. We're still enjoying the foods that we want, but we're just, you know, being more mindful of how we're using those ingredients and how we're sourcing them in the first place. Yep. That's something my wife and I have adopted. I believe we learned that from you guys was kind of the plan purchase prep method of like, Hey, every Friday night, I know we're going to sound lame as hell right now, but every like Friday night or Saturday morning, we, we just plan what we want to have for the next week, taking into account, do we have any social events? Like, are we going out to eat? Are we invited to anything? Are we hosting anyone? And kind of just like understanding like, okay, what are we going to make for lunches? What are we going to have for dinner when we are having dinner at home? And being able to like write out whatever recipe we want to try or what we plan to have for those three meals throughout the course of the day, we kind of write it down in our list, use that to, like you said, take inventory of what's in our pantry, what's in our freezer and fridge, and just filling in the gaps. It's like, hey, you might find that you could use a different vegetable that's been sitting in the freezer for a couple of weeks now, and you don't even have to buy something else, you know? And I think it's just having a game plan that people lack sometimes that make this process way more complicated than it has to be. And, and once you do eventually go get those groceries, my wife and I like to go on like Friday nights or Saturday nights. Again, I know we're lame as hell, but we're almost in our thirties, right? Late twenties. So that's, I think the normal progression through life. Uh, going to the grocery store at night on a Friday, but that's, that's a, well, at least pre kids, that was us every Friday night yeah. too. <laughs> it's easy, you know? And, and like you said, like sometimes being overwhelmed in the grocery store might influence the decisions you have, or you don't want to go to a section or the stuff that you want is not even there. And it's like, then what? And, and it's almost just like planning and prepping around that I think is super important, but 
you get home, you prep for the week, maybe you cook a few meals, maybe you plan on cooking every night, but you have the ingredients for whatever you need throughout the course of the week. And yeah, I think that's such an underrated thing that I don't, now that I say it out loud, but nobody really does, you know, like there's a lot of people when they work with coaches or maybe dietitians and you teach them around how to plan for the week. But ironically, it's like, Hey, you might spend 50 to 75 more dollars on groceries for the week per, you know, every two weeks or week, however frequently you shop. But what's that compared to a $80 pizza night with two kids and two adults, right? Or even going out to freaking Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out, like you're spending 30 bucks minimum at some of these places too, or Chipotle, you know? And it's like, before you know it, eating more at home, shopping and buying more food, you actually save hundreds of dollars over the course of the month. And I'd argue that that, again, is more complimentary towards your health and your fitness goals or whatever it is that you're working towards too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, there's a misconception too, that that means that, you know, every Sunday you're in the kitchen for four or five hours and you're wasting your whole day there. I mean, that, you know, when I was working um, outpatient, the number one complaint was, I don't want to have to meal prep for hours at home. And I said, I don't either. And I don't. Um, and what you said was spot on is, you know, just ha- have a game plan. Like we only, we only confirm like three or four dinners through the week. And we make sure that we have those ingredients. And then the other days we designate as scrounge nights. And we're like, that's going to be leftovers. It's kind of fend for yourself nights. Um, but maybe you only cook one meal ahead of time. And then, you know, you chop up, you know, veggies and get your guacamole or hummus and string cheese cups together. So those are in the fridge ready to go. But nobody wants to spend that long, you know, unless you're, I guess you're a professional chef and you're getting paid for it. Nobody wants to be doing that. Um, and then, you know, your other point to kind of recycling menus, you know, you have those core recipes that, you know, like, okay, my family and I love this. Um, the kids like it. My spouse likes it. We know the ingredients. We know how to make it. We can throw it together 30 minutes or less, but then, okay, you get to the grocery store and they're out of asparagus, you know? Yeah. Can I use some frozen broccoli that I already have at home? Um, maybe I just change, I have the core recipe and I just changed the sauce that goes on top and suddenly it's a totally new meal. You know, the simple swaps like that too can completely transform a meal that's like in our standard rotation. And again, make it exciting, you know, and to us we're pumped, you know, and it's very little work. Yeah. I had on my notes here, pantry raider, because that's something I learned from yeah. you. I don't know if you made that up or not, but it's, if we're not like, if basic definition would be like, okay, it's Friday night. What the heck do we have to eat? Because we're not going to go out to eat and what could we scrounge up for a meal? And, and maybe that's like a, a a charcuterie board of something, right? Or like you said, maybe just swapping and, and using whatever proteins and veggies and things that you have in the pantry and just being able to recycle and and create a recipe of your own. It doesn't even have to be a recipe that you follow from someone like yourself or something you found online. Um, One of my questions to you is like, how do you, how from a food prep standpoint, or just being able to have things on hand, is there staples? Is there things that you always have in your pantry? Is there things that you always recommend people buying um, just to keep in case, even though it's not maybe part of this plan purchase prep method that we're talking about for meal prep throughout the course of the week? Is there things that you can, you'd usually give tips or, um, any advice on like how to be that person come Friday, Saturday. So you're more inclined maybe to make food at home and instead of going out to eat, is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, really starts with looking at yourself and, you know, looking inwards and getting really deep and just saying, okay, 
am I somebody who enjoys cooking or am I somebody who wants to do the least amount of work possible? Um, and no matter which side you fall on, there are some of those, you know, I kind of going to call them the healthy convenience foods to have on hands. So things like canned tuna or canned chicken, um, maybe cans of soup. Uh, broth, just having some quick cook grains, um, you know, whether it's rice, whether it's pasta. And then I'm really big on frozen staples. So having the frozen veggies, frozen fruits, um, even frozen grains. Now you can find the pre-cooked frozen rice, which is like ready in a minute. Um, and then when we go to the fridge, things like Greek yogurt and eggs. And so all of those foods, you know, you figure, hey, I can throw together an omelet and toast. I can make a smoothie. I can make a soup. I can make a stir fry. Um, and again, it's kind of mixing and matching those healthy go-to staples um, because we always have them on hand. And so when we go to the grocery store and what we tell clients is, okay, make sure you're buying for the, you know, whatever dinners or whatever meals you have planned. But number one, make sure that you're restocking your pantry and freezer staples because without those, you know, when <laughs> shit hits the fan or when dinner plans fall through or when somebody's not feeling well, you still have that other option, that sort of the backup option to be able to say, oh, guess what? I can still throw this meal together and, you know, we'll go out to dinner tomorrow night or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think it's really important to have those staples um, to be able to just pivot and say, OK, we're doing something different. Um, and it's like those realistic go tos. You don't even have to think about how to make them. But Elise, everything you just said was canned, processed, boxed, frozen, <laughs> right? Like, shouldn't we be buying organic and fresh and, you know, directly from the cow's uterus? Like, like <laughs> what do you have when people come to you with this idea of like, if I'm not buying fresh produce, if I'm not getting organic, if I'm not getting X, Y, Z, and if it's coming out of a can or a frozen, like I might as well not even buy it. Like, what do you have to say back to that? <laughs> Oh, so much. Where to begin? You know, I think unfortunately, and you, you're you so aware too, is where we currently are, there is just this world of misinformation when it comes to nutrition. And we go to TikTokers and influencers for facts, for nutrition and health facts. And so we tend to follow those people more than our health professionals to give us that information. Now I could sit here till we're blue in the face and tell you that, well, actually we get more polyphenols and vitamin C and vitamin E from things like canned peaches and cooked processed uh, tomato products and spinach. Um, but is that as sexy as and exciting as somebody wearing a bikini on TikTok? Probably not. Um, so it's really, it's really challenging. It's really difficult. But if we just strip it down to the basics, if we're afraid to buy something like frozen produce or a can of vegetables or soup or whatever that may be, what are we eating on the alternative? So are we going to get pizza or open up a bag of chips because we were so afraid that the produce wasn't organic or fresh or raw, you know, um, and if we're also being honest, we have to think about what's realistic for a lot of people. And I don't have, I don't have the wallet and the budget to be able to go buy organic everything, um, to buy fresh everything, because I'm telling you fresh produce, you've got to use that within a day or two. You're going to have to be going to the grocery store every two to three days in order to use it before it gets to be that strange, um, wrinkled creature in the back of your fridge that you're like, what is that? Um, so there are so many uh, components and things to look at. Um, but fact of the matter is, is 
We know for a fact that uh, frozen produce has equal, if not higher antioxidant value than fresh. We know um, that all those nutrients are freeze frozen in. Um, we know again that canned produce will often have higher polyphenols, higher vitamins and minerals, and greater bioavailability, meaning our, you know, our bodies can better absorb those nutrients because they're in a cooked process state than they would be from fresh. So the science is there. Um, getting that information out to people is really challenging, but I guess you and I are going to have to strap on our, our swimsuits and get out there um, to make it a little bit more effective. Uh, it's tricky. It's really tricky, but I am always going to be team um, make it happen, whether it's fresh, frozen, canned, freeze-dried, dried, dried uh, just get that food in, get the produce in, in any form, because that's what matters a whole lot more. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that was very well said and I don't, I couldn't have said it any better, but yeah, I mean, just this amount of fear mongering that we've seen on social media, again, coming from usually non-qualified nutrition professionals, most of the time. And I say, usually, you know, nobody's perfect. No dietitian is perfect. No personal trainer or doctor is perfect. And, and to say that all these people have like ill intentions, I, I don't think is the case either. I, I think it's just, it's just this misconception that, you know, people have diving into the nutrition space because it's very complicated. It's very complex. Uh, it's very multifactorial. And when you start to see people dive in on single ingredients or seed oils or added sugar or any type of processing or, you know, what, whatever non-organic pesticides they're using on strawberries, it's like, fuck, we're really missing the mark here because, uh, you know, probably 90% of the population doesn't do that anyway. And then you get, you know, a lot of these people who, again, maybe it's me being bitter, but people who have 500,000 followers, a million plus followers, and they're reaching so many people talking all this shit. And it's like, man, we're really missing the mark. And, and maybe there's a place for some of the information that they might be saying in certain contexts. I, I really doubt it, you know, cause at the end of the day, it's like people like yourself, a mom, you know, a wife and like myself, like a spouse and a family member. And it's like, most of the time we don't have, we don't have the mental capacity to wrap our head around all this stuff. And most of the time it's like false or it's just scaring you And in you being nervous of eating a bag of frozen strawberries is more unhealthy for you than eating the fucking bag of strawberries. Right. And you're going to get exponentially more benefits from whatever it is that you're going to eat compared to not eating it in the first place. So I like what you said, you know, you always have to compare to what, right? Like, Hey, maybe there's 600 milligrams of sodium in a can of soup, but is that better compared to, like you said, the alternative of getting a, a soup at Chick-fil-A or something that has a thousand or 1500 milligrams in it. So, you know, it's all about compared to what, and I, I think that, man, I just think people really miss the big picture here. Like what are the big rocks? Like, can we eat more meals at home? Cause that's always not always, but that's more likely going to be better a swap than you eating away from home most of the time. Right. And, and, and so forth. So yeah, I've, I appreciate you the way you answered that. And I know I'd get a similar answer from, from what I thought compared to what you said. So thank you for yeah, that. I think people need to hear it. Yeah. I mean, and truly, you know, that I think I could go on for days and it's just, it is hard. It's hard when you see those people with these large fan bases um, and not really thinking about the everyday person who worries about, you know, bringing food and home to their families, putting it on the table, college students trying to save money. Um, there are so many things at play 
Um, and we just have to kind of get back to the basics and say, okay. Um, and then, you know, looking at statistics, I mean, currently less than one out of 10 Americans consumes the recommended number of fruits and veggies per day. Um, and so, like you said, if we are eating more of those meals at home, we're more likely to be consuming more produce uh, than if we're, you know, getting that Chick-fil-A or something. Uh, and it's just, yeah, we got to strip it down to the basics and say, well, let's just focus on the food. Um, and then we can get to the frou-frou stuff later once we get those, you know, foundations in place. Yep, absolutely. And kind of talking about the whole like fear mongering, like being afraid of certain things or um, restricting certain things. I think that's a really common place in the nutrition sphere and something that you probably heard from your friends, family, clients, like people you work with, people on social media. It's like, I thought that this was bad for me, right? This like good or bad food dichotomy that doesn't actually fucking exist. And I'm, I'm curious because I've been kind of on a little crusade recently of like getting my clients to still incorporate some of the things, even if they're in a cut phase or if they're, if they're trying to eat, you know, quote unquote, more clean or whatever. It's like, how can we fit in some of the foods that you still love? Like, like maybe it's a pizza night, maybe it's creating your own recipe for that. Um, but including it, nevertheless, maybe it's having chocolate every single night after dinner. Cause I think there's a difference between, uh, being, um, like satiated, like I, I I feel like everybody knows this feeling. It's like you, you bake the salmon and you have the Brussels sprouts and then you have the rice peel off in, in it's on perfect. paper. Yeah. On paper, it's perfect. It's the perfect meal. You get 10 grams of fiber. You have 30, 40 grams of protein. You should be full, but it's like, you still feel like there's something left that you could eat. Right. And I think there's a difference between being like satiated and satisfied. And, and this satisfaction with food comes from I still think incorporating some of the foods that you love, that you look forward to, that are processed, right? Like whatever that might be for you. And it doesn't even have to be like that. It could be a fruit for all I, I know, you know, but is there is there kind of a mindset that you help people get to or like a basic understanding of like, how can we make all these foods fit and not just look at what healthy swaps we can make or how we could make this pizza a little bit quote unquote healthier or, or eating the perfect, you know, protein, carb, plant at your meal? Like, what would you say back to that of like, how can we still get satisfaction out of some of these meals or at the end of the day? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I actually love when you said satiated versus satisfied, because I think that hits it head on because going back sort of to the start of our conversation, when we were talking about, you know, the chicken and broccoli and rice, you like, okay, yeah, you will probably have some satisfaction. Either you've got some or some satiety there going on, but like, yeah, are you feeling good about that? Um, or are you still craving something else? So yeah, it's, you know, I think we have to find what works for, for different folks. And for some of my clients who can really do the same sort of meal day in, day out, and then just have, you know, it, it can be tricky on the weekends if they want to go free for all, um, you know, but for some folks, they really want to end each meal with a sweet little something. So finding what you desire and what you enjoy the most is so important. Now, for somebody like myself, I have a savory tooth. And so I'm going to want to make sure that my dinner has a lot of flavor. And maybe that's coming from cheese. Maybe I'm like dumping Parmesan on something. Maybe I'm like going crazy with the herbs and the spices where like my husband really wants chocolate. And like, to me, that just doesn't excite me as much. And that's totally okay. We can still have the same dinner um, but maybe he rounds out his dinner with some chocolate and I make sure to have olives on the side. Um, and so it's really being honest with ourselves and saying, what is going to satisfy me the most? Um, if it's a pizza night, 
maybe the idea of putting veggies on our pizza sounds despicable. Maybe we don't even want to go there. That's totally fine. Can we pregame with a salad or some roasted veggies before going and having the pizza versus doing a cauliflower crust pizza with extra broccoli on top? Um, and it, it, I think that's really important. Rather than trying to fit the mold that everybody else is in, is identify for yourself what is going to satisfy you best because no two people have the same dietary needs and satisfactions. Um, and so figure that out and say, okay, um, I know I need to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. I probably need some snacks. What part of the day do I get my sweet tooth or what part of the day am I going to want to have like a little extra something on the side? Um, and then set that up just like you would plan out those meals. Make sure that you're also planning to have that thing that makes you feel really happy because you're much more likely to stay on track with your health goals if you're feeling good about it. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I, and that's not even something that even has crossed my mind is like, how can we build a plate around things that tailor to your preferences, right? Like your, um, your taste preferences and maybe your sweet, maybe your savory. Uh, I think that's really cool to be able to just add maybe single ingredients or different spices or maybe a little bit of butter on your vegetables, right? Or, or maybe like your husband and and, and yes, you're hearing two dietitians say, eat the fucking chocolate after you, <laughs> right? But it's like planning out your day. It's like, okay, I could build up the perfect day, hit all the calories or macros or make sure my plate looks a certain way or, you know, hit my fiber, you know, four to five vegetables over the course of the day. It's like, okay, I could do all that, but where's the fun? If you don't think that that's fun, which I honestly don't expect anybody to think that's fun. I sure as fuck don't. And it's like, how can we just continue to tailor this to your preferences, instead of trying to fit your nutrition into a box, which again, like you said, is usually where sometimes that burnout or that lack of sustainability piece comes in. Cause I, I do think that people can adhere to a diet or some recipes or a meal plan or their calorie and macro ranges. Like people can do that, you know, and people lose weight on that or improve health markers, but what doesn't happen is people maintaining that progress most of the time, right? Like we have, we don't have a weight loss problem in, in, you know, the United States, we have a kind of making it sustainable and, and maintaining that weight loss over the course of a period of time. And I think that you adding some of these things, like you said, the chocolate, tweaking your recipes, emphasizing more of these different foods, maybe it's like adding something to what you're already going to eat. Like, Hey, if we go out to pizza. Can we start with the house or Caesar salad or something? So we have some form of, you know, color in our, uh, in our meal for the night. So I think that that's super underrated and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's all about the intent in which you do things. Right. And I, th I think for us, what we're trying to get across today and, and what I want for my clients and the people that I work with is I want you to view food in a different light instead of this, like, Hey, this is good. And you should be eating this, even though maybe that's what you should be doing. We should be getting more protein. We should be getting more plants. We should be getting less sodium sometimes for some people. Like we should be doing these things, but can we do that in a way that you don't resent it? You know? And I think that being able to one experiment with new recipes or just experiment in general in the kitchen could add to that curiosity that you can have in the kitchen, but it can also make this long-term health game a fuck ton more enjoyable. And that's kind of what we're getting at here. So yeah, I, I think it's more about how can we do some things today to make tomorrow and a year from now 
more enjoyable and more likely for a lot of this stuff to stick instead of you just doing it for 12 weeks in a row and then saying, forget about it the rest of the year, you know? Man, that's, yeah, it's so well said. And, um, you know, kind of came to mind as we were talking because it, it really is. It's, it's like, we need to understand the basics of nutrition years back. This is kind of coming full circle now with the background in music. But when I was in high school, um, my choir director was friends with this actually very well-known composer, Eric Whittaker. If you ever get a chance, wonderful composer, but I was taking music theory at the time because I thought I need to learn the basics of music theory. I need to learn all of, you know, the rules and how it works and the structures, and I need to get it down. And he actually came to our class one day and sat into one of the classes and I had him sign my music theory book. And he said, Elise, learn everything to a T and then forget it all. And that has stuck with me for life because it does not just pertain to music theory and it makes so much sense. You know, we do, we need to learn nutrition. Everyone needs in their own way to learn about how to eat nutritiously, how to eat um, you know, the right balance of all the foods, but then we need to let it go and be able to enjoy life and be mindful and sit down to mealtimes and enjoy the company around us and the flavors of the food without worrying that it's going to be, you know, derailing us from the rest of our lives and from, you know, being able to fit in certain clothes and, you know, feel a certain way. So I, I just had to share that because it's always stuck with me. And I really, think that it can apply to this world of nutrition that we're in, because even as nutrition coaches, you know, we're trying to guide people. We talk about nutrition all day, but you also want to shake people and say, just let go and just enjoy, because that's really what, we, what it's about. Yeah. I love that. I'm definitely going to steal that, learn everything to a T and then enjoy life. Dude. That's forget it all. Right. Like that's I mean, that's the motto, you know, and I, I do think that there's a point in your life that, and again, I'm biased, but we don't learn about nutrition. Like the most that we learn about nutrition for the average person is like from your parents or from the the circle that you're in, or maybe from a health class you are in high school, or maybe a basic to nutrition class in college, if you are able to go there. And it's like, you know, you learn some basics, but a lot of times a lot of stuff that you do is just learned through actions and behavior and, and just seeing things as you grow. And it's really hard to unlearn that sometimes. So for me, what I'm saying is like, sometimes I think that there is a period in your life where yes, you should go in or should go all in on learning nutrition, maybe working with somebody or following accounts that aren't fear mongering and trying to scare the shit out of you with everything that they're showing. Right. I think there's a difference between you consuming content on TikTok and social media versus maybe looking and, and following some more qualified health professionals who aren't trying to scare the heck out of you when it comes to nutrition and fitness and, and trying to get your health in check. So, um, but when you do that, it allows you to be able to live a little bit more freely and more flexible after it. And, and I think that there's this transition where again, what I brought up earlier in the show, it's like, Hey, there's this health kick. Let's talk about calories, your metabolism, all these macros, all these nutrients, Let's talk about how to build a perfect day, how we can start to hit some of these things. How can we build your plate? And then you get to this point where it's like, okay, I learned all of this, but how can I 
make this more productive and useful for me going forward instead of just feeling like this is the final destination. Cause I sure as hell promise you that that should not be the final destination. It's just getting to this place where, okay, I know, every, I know my car protein fat, you know, macro breakdown ratio and I'm happy now. It's like, no, that that's, that's a means, right? The destination we're getting to is much bigger than that. And I think some people miss that along their journey. And, and again, it's not their faults, right? I think it's something that we're trying to build more awareness around and help you appreciate that there are more things in life than like freaking being perfect with your nutrition. But it's, uh, it's something we do every day, you know, and I think learning how to be better at it is probably one of the most useful tools that we could add to our toolbox, so to speak for the rest of our lives. So I think that there's some point of emphasis, whether that, what that looks like for you, if it's trying one new recipe a week or trying to eat four meals at home throughout the course of the week or eating lunch, you know, from a, um, from the kitchen that you made, or sorry, from <laughs> the food you made in your kitchen throughout the course of the week. It's like, whatever that looks like to you, let's see if we can just improve what you're doing and, and start to think a little bit more long-term with this stuff. Yeah, gosh, absolutely. It's, and again, you know, it's really that individualized approach, as you said, you know, it's what for you makes more sense, you know? Yeah. Maybe it is cooking one more meal at home a week. Maybe it's adding one fruit to your day. You know, it doesn't have to be this groundbreaking thing. Um, and as you know, too, that's where a lot of clients lose it is they go, you know, all or nothing. They think they have to completely rewrite their world overnight in order to be successful. It's like, man, you know, if you just swap this out here, or if you just, you know, incorporated this into your daily routine, you would already be just, you know, making this path for yourself. So it's not always a whole lot. Um, it's just finding, finding things to fine tune a little bit, you know, and then also making sure that you're not the 80 year old who's, you know, still using my fitness pal and tracking your calories. And, you know, I was at the grocery store the other day and heard these two women talking about their new keto diet. And I thought, what a sad way to live, you know, those wonderful years of your life. You know, you just, you want to be enjoying them and not worrying about surviving off of cabbage soup. Jeez. Yeah. Getting your bacon with breakfast in the morning, you know, and that's yeah. that's not the extent of what the keto diet is, right? Like there there are people who do well on the keto diet or low carb diets, and that fits their dietary preferences for sure. But far more often, yeah, I do see people like carbs, and that is likely a part of their life forever. So I I I'm always a skeptic as to why people are doing it in the first place. If maybe that's not something that they could see themselves doing. But I digress. Um, I I wanted you kind of brought up something, and when it comes to like spicing it up in the kitchen you know, one question I have for you is like, what are some underrated things in your opinion that you could either buy or invest in? And we're not talking about going brand new KitchenAid freaking double oven, you know, kind of thing. I'm talking about air fryers or crock pots or instant pots. Are, are there things that you have as like a go-to appliances that are under hundred, 150 bucks that will make all the difference in the world in terms of spicing things up in the kitchen or being able to execute on different recipes? Is there anything that comes to mind? Oh, yeah. And I know I, this is gonna be controversial because I'm a little bit of a rebel. And I, for a long time, was kind of anti new trendy appliances. You know what? Everybody's going out and get their air fryers and the this and the that. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so I really like some of the classic items. They're classic for a reason. So for me, one of my most used, I mean, I'm talking probably five to six nights a week. I'm using my big Dutch cast iron pot. It is a little bit of an investment. Hop over to Home Goods, TJ Maxx. You can usually get them for like forty to sixty dollars, depending on the size. But you can braise chicken thighs in them. You can do um, like a pot roast. You can do just about anything. Soups. 
um, grains if you want, pasta sauces. I use that for absolutely everything. Um, and it can go right in the oven too. So if you're making something and you want to be able to just throw it on in there to finish up, you can do that. Um, and kind of on a similar note is just my cast iron pan. Again, another home goods, TJ Maxx, Marshall's fine. Um, but a cast iron pan, again, you can cook basically any protein in it, get a nice golden crispy exterior. That's really wonderful. Um, but outside of that, I really just steer people towards having a cutting board, um, you know, s knives that are decent, you know, that are going to be able to cut through some things. Um, and then having just some good storage containers, food storage containers, um, especially if we are batch cooking or cooking something that's going to have a lot of servings for the rest of the week. And I think we don't often think about that. So, okay, maybe we get the flashy new cookware. What happens when we have leftovers or when we want to take that to work the next day? Um, so having some really good quality food storage containers is really important. Now, if you want to go and get, you know, the fancy blenders or the, you know, air fryers, there's nothing wrong with that. But I look at those as like the fun extras. Do we need them? Absolutely not. You know, you can use your oven. Um, you can use your, you know, stovetop just as well as anything else. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say those. Definitely the Dutch oven, just a good cast iron or stainless steel pan. Uh, and then the food storage containers and then the knives and cutting boards. So really basic, um, but that will get most of your cooking done. Oh, and cheap pans, cheap pans for the oven, of course. <laughs> she pants super underrated. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you say that because like having nice cookware and it doesn't even have to be nice, but like functioning cookware that, you know, yeah. that you could whip out and put a bunch of stuff in and, and say like a sheet pan, maybe cut up a bunch of veggies, cut up the chicken sausage, cut up the potatoes, whatever it is. It's like, okay, you have a meal for two or three days. Right. Or you can feed your family for one night. But I, it's funny you, when you say that, because my wife and I, we, we recently moved, but we've been in this house and we've had my pans from college, I swear. And uh, we had our wedding about a year ago, year and a half ago, and we got all new things on our registry, beautiful pans, got the Dutch, you know, the Dutch oven, the cast iron stuff, like all the Calphalon pans, all the new knives, like thank you to everybody who who donated to that for us. But, um, it's funny that they've been sitting in our garage. I'm like, I don't want to open them yet. I want to wait to the new house. So we've been like waiting this whole year, but this last three months before we've moved to the house, it's like my inclination to get up and cook and to want to cook has decreased because of the stuff that we have. And I think that that's such a, it's such a kind of fundamental principle that if you look at what are barriers to you getting into the kitchen and enjoying cooking more, is it, is it because you have dull freaking knives and you don't like cooking any vegetables? So you're more likely to go out and get dinner after that. It's like, maybe that's some things that, like you said, it doesn't even have to be an investment. It could be a birthday gift. It could be an anniversary gift. It could be you like we did filling out a registry and having people buy that for you for your wedding or whatever occasion it is stuff that will enhance your cooking experience sometimes will make it more likely for you to get in the kitchen and also enjoy that as well. So that's cool. I'm, I didn't know where you're going to take that, but I, I appreciate it. You didn't say you need to get the new air fryer. Or you need to get the, uh, you know, the instant pots cause you could cook everything in 20 minutes throughout the course of the week. It's like, what are the like nutrition? What are the fundamentals, the things that you will likely use over and over again and lean on when you don't have access or aren't able to do some of these other things. And yeah, I think that that's something that will make your life significantly better, you know? 
Exactly. And, you know, it's again, think about like you yourself. For me, I don't mind waiting a little bit longer for things to cook in the oven. Like I love getting that crispy, golden, crunchy on my roasted vegetables. Some people still want to get that crispy roasted, but they only have 15 minutes. So they're going to throw it in an air fryer. So again, you know, you got to look at your personal situation too and be like, all right, air fryer is going to be the best investment um, versus, you know, going old school with the oven and the sheet pan. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that either. And just, you know, thinking about what do I have time for? Like if I was back in college, maybe I would reconsider um, some of those options too. Absolutely. And I, I think this conversation can also be super relevant and is more relevant. Uh, this is a huge pivot here, but to people with food allergies or food sensitivities or people trying to avoid things, right? Like trying to go out to eat can be a freaking nightmare sometimes or trying to go to the grocery store or, or traveling. Like it's extremely difficult sometimes when people have a list of things that they're either trying to avoid or they're sensitive to, or they're legitimately allergic to. And I think you do an amazing job of providing swaps and alternatives. But I think this conversation of like, can we cook more in the kitchen? Can we do things to enhance our experience when cooking? And I think this tailors a lot to kind of the food allergy crowd because one, they're forced to do it, but I find that people who are going through that, it's a very lonely path sometimes if they're the only one in their immediate family. And it's like, it's difficult to, to be the person who's the odd woman or man out all the time. And you can take this wherever you want, but when it comes to like living with food allergies, whether it's eating at home, eating away, like what are, what are just some things that you would recommend people to keep in mind and remember as they kind of go down this path of like, restriction that is involuntary, right? Like things that there was kind of forced upon them. But um, yeah, I don't even know what my question is, but when it comes to like living with food allergies, what do you find can make that process a lot easier? And how, how, how can people find that more of an enjoyable experience and something that isn't a burden to them? Because you sure as fuck can bet that living with, you know, no gluten or no dairy, like that's hard as hell trying to eat away from home. So how can we make that process better for people? If you had to say, Oh yeah, well, I can speak firsthand to it. Um, I, uh, you know, uh, about three and a half years ago, actually it was like right at the height of the pandemic. Um, I just noticed that overnight had kind of some new symptoms and, um, had a wonderful physician who just sent me for all the tests and, overnight, I had to change the way I was eating. I developed several food allergies. I developed IBS. And suddenly I had to eat whole 180 different from my family. And at the same time, you know, with, with two healthcare professionals, husband and wife, we have the knowledge to be able to say, okay, here's how, you know, meals can be constructed a little bit differently, but like, I didn't want to overly affect my children's diet. You know, they still could eat a lot of very nutritious foods as their bodies are growing. And I didn't want to have to impact that. And so we said, how can we make this doable for everyone without a breaking the bank? Because it can be really expensive to have, you know, all these separate meals, basically short order cooking for everybody in the family. Um, but also to make it easy and less stressful. And so what we started doing is when we started to meal plan for the week, we would think a little bit more from a component standpoint. And so we'd say, okay, you know what? Everybody can have the same protein. Like there's no issue with proteins. We can all do the same protein um, and we can all do the same veggies. So maybe the only difference will be that mom will be in charge of her starch 
Uh, maybe you guys are doing pasta and I'm going to do my own pasta or I'll cook, you know, I've got rice cooked up from yesterday. I'll do that. And then we can either share the same sauce or maybe I'll buy, buy something pre-bottled and you guys can do the sauce that comes with, you know, I don't know, the box of mac and cheese or whatever it may be. And so that I think was really beneficial for us, at least to get our feet wet in that world. Because again, it, I, you know, if you, if you have no experience with nutrition, it can be so overwhelming. And so just thinking about what can be shared, what can be similar, what can we still do that's the same? And then where that food allergy is, maybe we can just focus on that. Um, so that took a lot of the stress out. And I'll say that going out to eat was also just kind of a learning experience, especially because some restaurants do a really great job at accommodating. Some really have no clue whatsoever. As we found out just this past weekend, I had to um, kind of just not eat my meal because it, it didn't fit what I needed to have work for me. Um, and that doesn't always happen. So now I just know that if we're going on a trip, uh, if we're road tripping, because now we're in a small, smaller town. So if we're, you know, taking a trip out to the bigger city, I pack a lunch bag and that has some substantial snacks, as I like to call them. So that if we go to a restaurant that can't accommodate, or maybe I can only have an appetizer, that when we get back to the car, I at least have some more that, you know, I can have on hand, or maybe I've packed a lunch in there. So, um, you know, it, it can be lonely. It can be isolating. It can be really frustrating navigating food allergies. Um, but it's definitely doable. It's definitely possible. And I think the encouraging part of today's world is that there are so many more brands and there are so many more options. One thing that I used to do even before developing food allergies is I would always try alternatives for like condiments and sauces because my I'm a sauce girl. <laughs> I always say I'm the sauce queen or sauce mama because I want to know how people can still flavor their foods and have it taste exactly the same, even if they can't have, I don't know, soy sauce or uh, I don't know, whatever sauces, whatever your favorites are. And so um, there are so many brands that have these like perfect dupes um, to still make it taste like your favorites without having to feel like you're missing out. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm an open book. If anybody ever has questions about brands or just how to navigate it, you know, it, it takes time. I'm three and a half years in and there's still days that I get frustrated. Um, but we, we still make it work. It just takes a little bit of planning and, and thought process, but it's, it is doable and you can still enjoy the hell out of life and food and, um, and living. So, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that experience too. So I know a lot of people resonate with that and it's, yeah, it can be a very lonely experience or it could be pretty awesome. You know, it's kind of whatever you want to make of it, but I find that it's like, and I say this of my own personal experience, I voluntarily went gluten-free because I was kind of knee deep into some, some different type of nutrition testing. And I kind of wanted to confirm or deny the bias that I has about some of these things, but I went, I went gluten-free for about nine months uh, last year. And yeah, you know, like you said, you not even eating last weekend at the restaurant, I would find sometimes when, when I was faced with, you know, what do I order? How can I navigate this? It's sometimes it's just easier not to eat at all than it is to eat. And that's where some of these dangers can also come in, right? Because let's say gluten is the thing you're removing. Gluten's in a lot of things. Um, and again, not to say that gluten is bad for people who can tolerate it and eat or do, do just fine with it. But sometimes it's just literally easy not to eat. And, and I say that because I was in kind of like a gaining phase. I was like intentionally trying to gain weight at this time. And I literally lost like six pounds within two months of going gluten-free because I'd cut out so many things and so many staples were gone. And 
when we look at like the stages of grief, there's at the very beginning, there's almost like this mourning for like the loss of what your life once was. Right. Um, but eventually and ideally you get to the point where it's like, well, how the fuck can I figure this out and make it work for me now? And a lot of times spent, or a lot of times people spend time in that first phase where it's like, I'm not going to figure anything out, you know, not to say that you're a victim, but it's just like, sometimes it's really difficult to get past that first stage. And, and like you did, it's like, how can we make this work with our family? How can they continue to eat what they like and, and what I used to like, right. But just make it a little bit different for me. How can we plan ahead? It's literally the same conversation that we had to start this episode of like, how can we plan and prep for the week to make our life a lot easier instead of just, you know, taking day by day and it's doing whatever comes to us because chances are that's not going to be the best way to navigate through your food situation, especially with the, with the food allergy. So I think that's super important. And, and obviously having a dietitian as your husband and a family that is immersed in food, you know, it might be different from somebody who, you know, maybe has a spouse or a boyfriend or somebody who continues to eat all the stuff and leaves you feeling like you're maybe unseen, but I think some of it has to do with like having hard conversations and bringing up like, Hey, this is me. Like, this is what I need to do. And I don't expect you to change anything of it, but I sure as fuck expect you to make this easier for me. If that's something that's in your immediate circle, or if they're not in your immediate circle, like cutting off girls night and not going to whatever it is and eating chicken wings and bread and, and having all the beer and wine you could drink. Like maybe that's not something that's serving you making a difficult decision to navigate away from that and creating your own version of that. So yeah, a lot to unpack. We could talk about this for literally a day, but thank you for sharing your experience. Cause I think that that's super important to remember. Oh yeah. You know, and, and, uh, you hit it on too, is looking at your inner circle circle and saying, okay, you know, if it is a spouse or it is my family, like, are they willing to have separate cutting boards and separate, you know, utensils and things like that? Or is it something where the whole family is going to go on this journey together? And um, it's really personal. And I wouldn't judge a person or a family in any situation. I have friends who I know have celiac and the whole family just goes gluten-free that way. And that works really well for them. Um, I think I would wager that if my husband and I weren't dietitians, it might be the same, you know, just be easier. You know, you don't have to question as much. Um, and, you know, but it does take, yeah, it just takes a little bit of planning. And two, you know, again, I think we touched on this earlier, the idea of like heavily processed foods. There are so many heavily processed gluten-free alternatives or chips and snack foods that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the better option. So can we get back to the basics and say, okay, I'm just going to pre-cook my grains or get my gluten-free bread on hand so that when we go to the beach or when we're going on this trip, I have my own sandwich or I have my own grain ready to go with dinner so that, you know, it's not a big ordeal. It doesn't have to be difficult. It's just well-planned out just like anybody else would plan their week. Absolutely. Gosh, Elise, thank you so much. This was incredible. I feel like every single sentence you said and we talked about was was really relatable and fun. So I I had a blast talking to you today. I'm going to um, cut you off here. I want to respect your time, but tell the people where they can find you, follow you, uh, any resources. I'll link everything in the description notes as well, but just tell people where they can find you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was so good to reconnect. And for all of you out there who don't know, Luke and I, yeah, out Reno, we're the Renoites. Is that what we called ourselves? So it's just so great to connect and um, 
It was wonderful talking. So if you ever want to find me online, it's Constant Kitchen. I think on every platform that, you know, that I'll tolerate for now, <laughs> Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. Um, and we also have a website and there is another project coming along soon that will be announced, I think in the next month. Um, and that you will also hear about on Constant Kitchen. And that has to do with um, recipes as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Elise. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode. 